The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined this week by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, bud? Hey, man. How's it going? I'm running around, bud. I hope you're good. I hope everybody's good, though. Oh, yeah, man. Everything's good on my end. Just chilling. Uh, shortly, I'm about to take a trip to Wakanda. I let everybody else go, and then I'll just join y'all and uh, tell y'all about my experiences later on. Definitely share your experiences. You will enjoy it. <laughs> Another score is brought to you by CSPN. You can find us at CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. And you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. So, Dwayne, we thought it was going to be a rather slow week in sports. I mean, we've got the Olympics going on. Shout out to the women's hockey team finally defeating Canada to win the gold. Absolutely. But on Friday, uh, the FBI said, hold my beer. And uh, they dropped an information bomb on college basketball. As Yahoo Sports released a report that implicates major blue blood college basketball programs in a money scandal. Um, players from more than 20 Division One men's programs have been identified as possibly breaking NCAA rules through violations that were uncovered by the FBI investigation. At least 25 players are linked to impermissible benefits, including Michigan State's Miles Bridges, Alabama's Colin Sexton, and Duke's Wendell Carter. Now, what makes uh, those three guys really significant is their current players. They're currently active, eligible players. Um... And another layer to this is this is an FBI investigation. This is not an NCAA thing. So technically they can remain eligible because this is not an NCAA, um, you know, situation. So there's, you know, this thing is multi-layered. Um, it all stems from a former NBA agent, uh, Andy Miller and his agency, ASM Sports, and uh, the documents that the FBI has uncovered from 2015 to 2017 that show cash advances, entertainment, as well as travel expenses paid for college prospects and their families. So, Dwayne, before we start getting into kind of some more individual players and numbers, just kind of your first reaction to when you first saw this news drop uh, Friday morning, early on Friday morning. Well, this was pretty much a ongoing thing. I kind of knew there were several teams involved, but knowing that, you know, you got the top four winningest programs involved Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, and North Carolina, of course, it's not in that particular order. But you have a situation where a lot of these players, these families, you know, the NCAA is a scam as it is. I mean, they're under the facade of amateurism. And, you know, these players are given their bodies, their their athletic ability, their athletic gifts, and getting virtually nothing. So, you know, you're in a situation where, you know, you're starving, you get 
paid nothing to sacrifice everything. I mean, you sacrifice classes, you sacrifice social time, you sacrifice so much. And so sometimes it's in a situation where you got to do what you have to do to survive. And, and so knowing now that the programs that are involved and, and, you know, there are coaches who are legitimately oblivious to what's going on. They let their assistants handle a lot of situations and these rogue assistants will do whatever it takes to get some of their players to come and whether it's helping out with money, helping out with entertainment here or there. Of course, you're under the impression, hey, I do this for you, just pay me back when, or if you make it big, whether it's in uh, professional sports or something else. And and so now you just got to really let the process play out because not you got the implications are just what it is. It's, it's implied that it's happening. That's why the investigation goes on. And I think as long as these schools and these programs cooperate with the FBI, like you said, Don, it's, it's a federal investigation versus a NCAA investigation. So you got to let this process play out and just see what's going to happen if you're fan of this team, just be patient and just hope that not your school ain't affected, your team ain't affected by it. Right. Um, uh, some of the numbers that came out, it was reported that Dennis Smith Jr. Re- received $73,500 in loans from ASM before he played for NC State. Isaiah Whitehead, during his freshman season at Seton Hall, reportedly received $26,000 according to the documents. And Bam Adebayo, who would play for Kentucky in 2016, reportedly received $36,500. The thing about NCAA violations, though, those are some of the, you know, larger numbers, of course. But they also, you know, detailed, um, you know, dinners and meetings and lunches and things like that that were picked up because in the guidelines of the NCAA, anything that a kid gets that his parents or the school or athletic department doesn't provide is an improper benefit. So if you saw a kid out and bought him some McDonald's, basically you could get somebody on probation for that. So, you know, these are just kind of the rules that, you know, they're, they're antiquated because the NCAA was founded on corruption. And so they, you know, they, they kind of built this thing to kind of stop that, but you know, it's never stopped. So it just goes on. And and pretty much and you're right. It goes on and it's going to continue to go on as long as somebody's keeping the score. Like as long as there's competition and the score is being played and you're trying to get to the levels of the blue buds and things like that, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And so as long as there's a score being kept, these things are going to happen, especially under this facade of amateurism. And, you know, I always, I'm with a lot of people that say pay the players. It's just how are you going to do it and how are you going to do it fairly where things are going to be, 
you know, fair for other programs, other student athletes, you know, who are in the lesser programs. And also you got to look at Title IX, how you going to make it equal for the women's athletics too. Yeah, that's always been the sticking point in this is because you only have two true revenue drawing sports in college, and that is football and basketball. And presumably, if, um, you know, they combine the resources of both those programs in one athletic department, they could probably figure out an even number to give to all the other athletes. And that's including rowing and fencing and, you know, soccer and tennis. And, you know, you, you can't just think about the, you know, but you got about a hundred guys, 120 guys on a football team in college and 15 guys on a basketball team. So about like 145 people will basically right. supplement, you know, all the athletics and they've been doing it since the beginning of the structure. So it wouldn't be anything different. It would just be that, you know, the lesser sports would, you know, still get a part of it too, and an equal part because they're all athletes. They're all going through the same um, rigors. And like you said, they give up their time, they give up their um, abilities to really be true students. You know, they're not really a part of the student body, especially the athletes that are in basketball and football because they're right. so separated. They have study halls and the only time that they're really a part of the um, real student body is when they're, you know, sports aren't in in season and when they have a little dead periods between the trainings where they don't, you know, they're not where the coaches can't work them out or anything like that. Then that's the only time where they're actually like true students where they're eating with the regular student bodies and, and going to the classes and doing that thing like that. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand the Ivy leagues used to be the biggest thing in the country at, in the beginning of, college sports and football and basketball both got brought down because of corruption because you know the kids understand that hey you know going to college any kid who's been to college understands that if you got a chance to get money you kind of take it if you can you know <laughs> yeah, if it means if it means going to sit at a lecture and then you know all of a sudden they say hey you know we have a work study you know that we're apply for it, you know, you can get eight hours a week doing this work study. Hey, you know, people do it. So, you know, these things happen now. Unfortunately, of course, the nightmare would be that a head coach, as you said, most of these head coaches kind of, you know, use their as quote unquote runners or assistant coaches to kind of handle this type of deals when they're doing these underhanded things. But, the nightmare would be that a head coach would directly be involved. And that seems that that is the case with Arizona head coach, Sean Miller as FBI wiretaps intercepted telephone conversations in which Sean Miller discussed paying a hundred thousand dollars to ensure star freshman Deandre Ayton signed with the Arizona Wildcats. Um, Deandre Ayton is an Arizona Wildcat. He is projected to be the number one player uh, selected in uh, next year's NBA draft or this year's, excuse me, this year's NBA draft later this year in June. And now it looks like the coach and the player are going to be suspended for an indefinite amount of time as, you know, they go through this, um, you know, investigation internally with the school, you know, figuring it because they don't have 
any of these conversations. So anything that they're learning at Arizona, they're finding out just like we all are through media reports, Yahoo reports, and what comes out in the in the news agencies. So now talk about Sean Miller and, you know, how Keystone cop is he, amateur crook is he, and kind of what this will do as far as trickle-down effect for coaches and uh, recruiting. It's over for Sean Miller. Uh, he might as well just start packing up his office and – let Arizona there's this isn't an athletic department thing anymore. This is something that needs to be handled by by the president, by the school board of regents, whatever they may have at U of A. And this is gonna you know, Arizona's a good is a desirable destination, is a desirable job. But you have to consider cleaning house, you know, especially if Sean Miller knew, if the athletic department, the AD knew what was going on. And you got to sit DeAndre Ayton. And if you're Arizona, you want to kind of, if this is true, and, you know, if you can sit up here and say that's not your voice and you have a distinct voice, that's not going to look good. It's not going to be a good look. So I think for Sean Miller, it's going to be a, it's going to be a very, very swift life comes at you fast situation where it's, it's over and, and it's going to trickle down to the assistance, you know, it's going to trickle down to other head coaches, like we like said, and like we both said, it's going to be one of those things where we have a situation where, you know, either the coaches knew of the situation uh, um, or they didn't know. And, you know, some coaches are going to let, they're going to go through this information, make sure it's credible, make sure there's, you know, any past players or current players, just uh, thoroughly make sure everything is credible. And if they do have to go through and go through the process, they will have no choice, actually. I do know that a couple of players, parents, and the players themselves have come out and, you know, either said, I haven't taken anything or or of the sort of I will just let the process play out. I know Josh Jackson, he was implicated, but his mother immediately came out and said, I did not take any money from ASM. And I've had one or two conversations with uh, Christian Dawkins, who's another key figure in this case as well. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Sean Miller, if these uh, allegations are true, you know, he's going to be facing, you know, federal charges. So, you know, just coaching again, the NCAA will be the least of his worries. Um, you know, he's going to be right. facing federal charges, you know, jail, charges, jail time. And even when he depend on if he gets a plea deal or something and doesn't serve any jail time, he's going to be on the show cause. 
and that's gonna last you to five to ten years as well. So he's gonna need to find a new line of work pretty much at this point. Right. Um you know, this is actually even worse than the Todd Bozeman scandal because at least Todd Bozeman, even at a lower level, got back into coaching. Um, but yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he served he served that show cause at Cal, and then he became the head coach at Morgan State. So right, right. But he but he wasn't facing going to jail though. He just right. you know <laughs> he just had to sit exactly. out. He just had to, he just couldn't coach in college for a few years. You know exactly. So, um, as we said, you know, this is just, you know, a beginning of the iceberg. Of course, this all started with the um, uh, just the Adidas schools uh, being implicated. But, of course, once the FBI got involved, they, you know, started casting their net and just, you know, did the whole sport. And now they're, you know, uncovering, you know, everybody's done something to what level you've done it may vary. You know, we've got the. You know, lesser, like we said, the lesser kind of things where, you know, you may have met a kid and then, you know, he walks away and then you pay for the lunch and then that's, you know, considered an improper benefit or you've got, you know, guys reportedly, you know, getting large sums of money to, you know, and the scam was basically they would get the money and they would basically kind of promise to sign with the agency and sign with a certain agent to kind of, you know, help them recoup their money back is basically, you know, kind of what the situation was. So, um, again, for a lot of people, this is nothing new for college athletics, college basketball, college football. There's always been talks of the $100 handshakes and, you know, the boosters that, you know, wealthy boosters hiring guys at their, you know, car dealerships and, you know, paying them, you know, thousands of dollars just to wash cars or whatever, you know, so there's always been workarounds and other means and ways to kind of, you know, do this, but this has kind of been the most blatant and widespread, um, you know, recent discovery of it, you know, in the information age, they've been di- different scandals throughout college sports, point shaving and recruiting and things like that, but nothing this, you know, widespread outside of the NCAA. Like, I don't think that people grasp that this isn't just, college, you know, the NCAA cracking down on itself. This is like the feds cracking down on everybody. Everybody. It's, like, it's going to be a seismic shift if everybody is convicted. Um, it's going to be a very seismic shift in the landscape of college basketball as a whole. Like, oh, well, how college do you sports in general because, you know, if somebody's going to have an inkling, well, if they're, they're dirty in basketball and there's only so few players, what are they doing over there in football? Right. And... Football's a huge uh, football. I mean, basketball is probably. I think they have the one of the bigger. Con- I think it's slightly bigger than the football contract. But you are right, though. It's gonna it's gonna transfer over to football, and and Lord knows how many schools are are gonna be implicated there. Right. So, um, but what may come out of this is the NCAA is definitely going to have to, you know, change their language and their rules and how they operate. And in the end, the FBI may be responsible for finally getting these kids paid. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think the country at this point 
has a problem with that. I mean, every other kid in college has an ability to go to work at wherever the library, Chick-fil-A, Foot Locker, while they're in college, internships as they get older in their careers. And the athletes cannot due to old NCAA rules that are afraid of people getting corrupted when in actuality by them not being able to get paid is what's corrupting them. So as the facade of amateurism at the end of the day, that's what's causing this whole uh, corruption situation and what's illegal. And like I said, it's a very antiquated situation and rules. And it's under the facade of amateurism. And if college athletics simply ends amateurism, that will go a very long way in helping this situation out. Right. So we'll definitely be more to come on this in the weeks and months to come. Um, but it's definitely for this weekend. Um, uh, and, the, you know, we've got the big week in college basketball. Uh, you know, this is the end of the regular season that's coming up next Saturday. Um, you know, rivalry games and conference uh, titles are going to be decided. But nobody's going to be really talking about much of that because, you know, this is the big story in all the sports right now. So um, we'll see what comes of this, uh, you know, in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, absolutely. This is Know the Score. I'm joined by the Libra icon. I'm Don DeLorente. We're going to shift over to the NBA. On last Sunday night, the NBA All-Star Game took place. And... Team LeBron, they came back in the fourth quarter, spirited defense, some clutch shot making to defeat Team Steph, 148 to 145. LeBron James, MVP of the All-Star game. So um, very competitive, uh, a lot more defense than we've seen in the past. Um, Team Steph kind of got cold there at the end, and uh, Team LeBron smelled some blood, and uh, they made the winning plays. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, gets trapped there in the corner and can't get a shot off to, to try to tie the game after they uh, inbounded the ball to Steph. He brought the ball up court. Of course, they double-teamed immediately. And then once he passed to DeRozan, he was double-teamed. And uh, LeBron looked like he won, like, game six of the of the finals or something when he was about to you know, maybe get eliminated or something. So he was pretty excited about the outcome. Uh, what did you think about the game? Did you uh, think it was more competitive? Um, did you like the format of the, you know, after all, with the two teams and kind of splitting up the talent? I did. I enjoyed the game overall. Very competitive. The players did take it a lot more seriously like they said they would and and even though we won't get the 200 game 200 point game for a while or a long time or ever it was a good game overall uh, team Steph was pretty much in control the whole time and I think the karma from laughing at Fergie's anthem probably came back to bite them and and uh, LeBron's team ended up playing very well and getting the win. So it was a very competitive game. The format is brilliant. I think it needs to be either televised uh, before, on the Friday night before All-Star Weekend, like right before the Celebrity Game, have the little All-Star, have the All-Star Draft, and then, or do it right before the game. Like really like have everybody line up 
have the captain's pick right then and there, and then and then go from go from there. But little tweaks or anything can be done before it comes to Charlotte next year. I I would like to see uh, purple and team purple versus team teal, and whoever the captain is can can uh, run the show. But good good game from both teams. I think everybody had fun as and also handled their business too. Right, right. Yeah, I think they uh if they keep continue to do this, that would be a good idea to kinda use the whoever host team, their colors as the jersey colors, because like a purple team versus a gold team would have been pretty cool to see those different team logos on those jerseys. But mm-hmm. I think that's kinda why they went with the black and white, because that kinda you know, cuts down on, you know, there may be some copyrights and things like that. Yeah. They may have to work around right. uh, to kind of do that. But yeah, it's kind of why the all-star jerseys have always either been, you know, the blue and white back in the day or the red and white back in the day, with just the all-stars yeah. that said East and West, or they just played yeah. in the straight up, you know, team jerseys, like, you know, everybody's in their regular uniform. Yeah. So there may be some copyright things that they can't, get around to kind of do that. But yeah, that would be cool to kind of, you know, every year the two team colors are red and away colors are the all-star jerseys. Uh, during that all-star weekend, of course, Adam Silver has his state of kind of NBA, you know, talks uh, with the media and a couple of things came out. He did say that they are thinking about televising the uh, selection process, uh, the picking of the teams for next year's all-star game. And uh, but the biggest news that came out was says that there are serious discussions and changing the playoff format. He uh, said that the best eight teams from each conference would qualify as normal, and then those teams, once the playoffs started, would be seeded one through sixteen. So you would have kind of like an NCAA tournament bracket style, where the very best team in the play in the league plays the very worst playoff team, and then you kind of get seeded through there. And, you know, first round would still be best of five and, you know, best of seven, best of seven, best of seven. So, Dwayne, I know that we had some, you know, pre-show discussion about this and you said that you did not like this. So I want to hear from you, you know, what you oppose about this change up because Adam Silver basically says that since the Western Conference has been so good and there's been so many teams out there that may have had a chance to win a championship, but because they knock each other off, they never really had a serious chance to, this would give more teams, in theory, an opportunity to win the championship. <sighs> okay. Yeah, this is a very bad idea because how many times in the NCAA tournament has a 16-1? Be Hasn't happened yet. Exactly. So what makes you think that the Golden State Warriors would lose in a seven-game series in the first round to the Detroit Pistons. So the one through sixteen, the one sixteen two fifteen, maybe we'll get a four thirteen or a five and a twelve. But this is not—I'm not a fan of it at all. I think it's. I think it's a very, it's a very, it just doesn't, I mean, what's the point of having conferences at that point? I mean, 
if you're going to do a 1 through 16, yeah, you get the best 8 or whatever, then you reseed them. It's not going to, it's going to be the same thing. You're going to have four game sweeps of the 1 through 16, the 2 through 15, 3 through 14. Well, so like the top four or five teams literally get a bye because they're going to sweep these other teams. And yes, the West has had the advantage since Shaq left Orlando to LA. It's been all Western Conference pretty much for the most part since he left. You can look at you can look at the past champions and you can really just tell how do, how dominant the East was in the mid nineties and then when Shaq bolted to LA from Orlando, how everything kind of just shifted to the West and has stayed there since. And so now you have a situation where, yeah, the the better teams are in the West and they do knock each other off, but that's just the nature of the beast. And, you know, nobody, no players want to go East because they don't want to run into LeBron in the playoffs when he goes into zero dark 30 mode. So I just don't see how reseeding, reshuffling the teams are going to help out. Maybe if they did it similar to the NHL where you have, you know, two teams, top three teams in the division go to the playoffs, then you have two wild card spots. And, but it's going to be a little difficult because there's six divisions in the NBA, four divisions in the NHL. So um, if you do it a little differently, maybe have the top two teams in the division and then top two wild card teams, have them go at it from there and then see how it plays out. I don't know. I just think the one through 16 is going to be even worse than the current eight on West eight on the East. I've kind of been a proponent of the one through 16, but not quite in this formation. I actually like this formation better than my idea. My, my idea was just always just, you know, forget about it. And just have one big old season and everybody's, you know, you can stick to where you are, but the best 16 record to make it. And then you, you know, go from there. But I like this because, you know, you can still have your conferences. You can still have your divisions and people can still win their, you know, divisions and and things like that. And then you get the 16 teams that qualify for the playoffs as normal. And just reseed it, and it just you know freshen it up a little bit. It'd be cool to see the, the different matchups of you know maybe Detroit could give the Warriors six games. You know, maybe they could find a way to you know to shoot enough threes in one game to steal one in California and have them come back to Detroit and get one, and you know give them a little bit of a test. You know, I think it could be fun. It would be a lot more fun than knowing that okay, the Warriors are gonna you know, grind out the Grizzlies because they can't score enough. You know, you know, it's it's just, you know, cross cross uh conference matchups throughout the whole playoffs instead of just in the finals. I think it's kind of what they're going for more than just you know, we're gonna get a bunch of sweeps. I think they're looking at, you know, it'd be good for the Clippers and the Bucks to play in the playoffs, you know. Yeah, but I think one thing that would concern the players as well in this situation is the travel. Um, you know, think about the 
you know, you go from, say you go from, say for example, the Clippers play the Celtics or whatever, and you got to go back and forth, back and forth, and especially for like game five, six, and seven. So you got to play a game, fly back out to the other coast, play another game if necessary, fly out to the other coast. Then if necessary for game seven, fly back out. And so, you know, that can be a lot, a lot of miles, a lot of fatigue, especially if they're playing every other day. Yeah, I think that that the beginning, the first couple of rounds, it probably would not be an issue because they're so spaced out anyway. Like they play one game, then they get three days off, and then they play game two, and then they may get two days off, and then they play game three. You know, kind of that first round is always funky with the scheduling. But, yeah, as you get to the, you know, semifinals and the finals, not so much the finals because, you know, the finals are spaced out for TV. So they could – I'm pretty sure they could, as they did for this year during the season, incorporate in the scheduling, you know, an extra few days in between the games to give the guys the rest that they need. Because, you know, coming into this year, that was a big deal where the teams weren't going to have as many back-to-backs and you weren't going to get as many wraparound games as far as, you know, if you play on a Saturday and Sunday, you wouldn't necessarily have to play on that Tuesday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, they can always do some tweaking if they, you know, get the guys in the room and sit down and decide this is what we're going to do and then present a schedule to the TV because, you know, that's really all the schedule's for anyways for TV yeah. at that point when she gets to the playoffs. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's a good discussion point. Like me and you, you know, there's different points of view about yeah. it. And, and that's, I think, what Adam Silver is really trying to generate. Just the discussion yeah. on it alone gets people focused in on NBA. So, yeah. I think maybe if you put, like, the top, the top division winner against uh, wild card number two, second division winner against wild card number one, and then you have the third – uh, division win and play the team that has like the third worst record and then the final two teams play. Maybe that will tweak it up a little bit. You know, I have to write it write it out before to make a little more sense. So you're, you're trying to go with more like how baseball does it where like if you're the wild or football where if you're the wild card team you, you, if you don't have a bye as a number one team, you automatically have to go up against that number one team as a wild card. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, like we said, if they sat down and really committed to doing it, you know, they could definitely come up with a formula that that could work and appease, you know, the players. But, you know, a lot of this has to go through players' association. They can't just NBA just say, tomorrow we're going to make this happen. There's a process to go through. And the owners got to vote on it too, three fourths anyway. So. Right. Yeah. So it would definitely be like a year away if they or two before they you know really went with it. But you know you got to get the ball rolling at some point, and that's all Adam Silver did last week. And our little final bit of NBA news um, before the you know games resumed on Thursday was that Kawhi Leonard decided to shut it down for the season. Um, you know he ended last season injured. Uh, with a shoulder, then he came back and then got hurt uh, working out before training camp. And this quad has just kind of lingered all season. The Spurs doctor says that, you know, according to their prognosis, diagnosis, he's good to go. 
but he feels himself that he's not. So they're kind of at a standoff. And um, this is where we are that he has decided to shut it down because the Spurs have always left it up to him. Whenever he felt good enough to play, just come on back. Well, he says that he doesn't feel good enough to play, and now he's out for the season. So this is a two-fold question to Wayne. First off, a relationship between the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard, how is that affected? And then on the court going forward, how does this um, affect the Spurs and their playoff run? Well, for the playoff run, they're still going to make the playoffs there. They have enough people. Marcus Aldridge. They have. A, they still have a pretty mix of veterans and young guys, and they have uh, great Popovich as a head coach. So they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to have at least a second round uh, meeting with the Rockets or Warriors, and and so that should be a good series uh, either way with that with those teams. And. Kawhi Leonard, he knows his body better than anybody else. So if he feels like he's not at his best, at his peak athletic ability, 100%, then he can, I think he can shut it down. Only you know your body better than anybody else. So that's, that's where I'm at with that. I think Kawhi's doing the right thing. And Kawhi's just Money, his body heal on his time. Maybe there'll be a time where where our time can get collected, and you'll be able to you'll be able to come back, try to mend those fences with the Spurs. Because I think it's a pretty icy relationship at this point. I don't know if the Spurs would get rid of Kawhi and. Try to get a number one pick out of it, you know, which is what he is worth. So it's just, uh, like you said, it's been up to Kawhi and he doesn't feel comfortable. Don't give him that power if you think, if, if you feel that he's ready, don't give him that power to say, hey, I'm not ready. Let me shut it down. So we'll just have to see how that goes. Well, I think that the Spurs, because of the classy way that they tend to operate, weren't trying to pressure the kid because they understand how valuable he is to their organization going forward. And I think that they, you know, kind of left it up to him trying to extend the olive branch, you know, in a way if they say, you know, if he feels like, hey, y'all misdiagnosed this to begin with, then, you know, that may have been their kind of thing to say, well, you know, okay, so you've got your second opinion, you've done your things like that, we feel that you're good, but, you know, still come back when you feel like it. So, you know, it's it's a weird situation just because Kawhi Leonard is such a, you know, I hate to use this phrase, but company man as far as, you know, not going, not creating waves, not being outspoken. But like you said, yeah. you know, if he feels like he can't go, then he can't go. And, you know, good on the Spurs for not, you know, making it like, you know, he's trying to hold them up or, you know, anything like that, that they're just saying, hey, you know, he made his decision and now we can proceed the rest of the year not having to look over our shoulder like when's he coming back. We know he's not going to be back, so we can move forward accordingly, finally, so. Yeah. Just an interesting year for Kawhi Leonard. Um, 
Yeah, matter of fact, my fantasy basketball team that I haven't looked at in weeks, so thanks a lot, Kawhi. <laughs> this episode of Another Score is being brought to you by Blue Apron. So please sign up for Blue Apron. Start cooking your meals at home and eliminate grocery shopping. If you go through cspn.us, click, click on the tab that says Blue Apron and sign up today. You'll get thirty dollars off your first order, and you'll also start getting meals sent straight to your home. So no more trips to the grocery store. Everything will be packed inside. All the seasonings, all the ingredients, the measurements will be exact. All I have to do is follow the instructions, and you know, thirty forty five minutes later, you've got fresh, home cooked, great meals. Especially for people who are trying to keep up with that New Year's resolution of losing pounds and eating healthier. This is a great way to ensure that you do that and keep the podcast free. So CSPN.us and Blue Apron do it today. Now, Dwayne, our final topic will be NASCAR. Uh, My final thought last week was on the Daytona 500 and particularly Bubba Wallace uh, running in his first Daytona 500 and uh, being the first full-time driver since 1971 on the circuit. Well, strange thing happened. Bubba Wallace finished second to race winner Austin Dillon in his first Daytona 500 start. Um, Just a fantastic effort from Bubba. Like I said uh, at the end of last week's show, um, he was starting inside the top 10. If he could have finished 10th in the top 10, that would have been a great day to actually finish second and uh, with maybe a little bit more experience, maybe could have pulled it out and got the win. Um, just a fantastic effort for him. Put a lot of eyes on the sport. Um, he had a lot of pressure going into the race, a lot of hype leading up into the race, and uh, he lived up to it. So, um, great showing uh, race one for Bubba Wallace. Uh, Dwayne, your thoughts? I'm extremely happy for uh, Bubba Wallace, and definitely was a great race for him, for uh, Petty Motorsports. Um, to have uh, Richard Petty's number and to carry on the 43 legacy to uh, ride that car to second place, especially since, you know, the last few drivers that have had the 43 haven't really been successful. I think there's going to be a bright future in the Monster Energy Cup Series for uh, Bubba Wallace, and it's going to get more eyes, you know, on the sport, and that's what NASCAR has been looking for. They've been looking for for a long time to get to be more diverse, to be more, um, you know, to have that diversity. And I know they're most of the traditional fan base would rather not have that, but it's going to happen. And we've seen it with uh, Daniel Suarez from Mexico. We've seen it with Bubba Wallace. Uh, African-American driver. So it's happening. Um, You know, the winds are changing in the sport of NASCAR, and this is something that is going to be great to watch out for. I didn't watch that much NASCAR last year. I think the whole stages thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I'm going to watch a lot more this year. Uh, A, because, you know, I've always kept up with it, and B, 
be, you know, finally to see somebody, you know, young and and uh, making making waves, whether he wants to or not. He does know the magnitude and the impact of what he is doing. So it's going to just be fun to watch, see his progression throughout the year. It would strike me as strange as a guy who covers hockey that you would say the stages ribbed you the wrong way. It, to me, now a NASCAR race is like a hockey game. You get a period, then you get intermission. Then you can go get a beer, go to the bathroom, kind of refresh yourself. And then you get the second period, then you get another intermission. And then you get the final period. It, it, I think it makes it watching the race a lot better, a lot more enjoyable because you can, you know, kind of, you just like every other sport now, you know when the, you know, quote unquote quarter or segment is going to end and you kind of get a break and get a chance to kind of reset and recharge and, and it gives teams like a kind of chance to like have a little halftime or regroup. And yeah. yeah, it's a, that's a valid point. And I think, I think I just didn't understand it a right. lot more. Versus, because I've been, when I watch the races with my dad, I've I've been to 600s. I've been to 500s in Charlotte. So I've been to NASCAR races where it's just continuous. And that's just what I was right. used to. So I guess, you know, be, me being part of that traditionalist, it was just a change that I was just like, okay, this is kind of weird. But now since you put it in that perspective and I kind of did it, really see that perspective last year it makes sense you know you do have those periods and you do have a break and you do kind of get different names and different strategies at the at a certain point so it makes sense now that you know it's explained but you know last year I really did not have that knowledge and it wasn't just the fact that the stages wrote me the wrong way I just didn't really watch it because I was watching other things and I wasn't really keeping up with it like I normally do. This is a weird time in NASCAR because not since probably the late 70s, early 80s, it's really like a changing of the guard happening right now where like a whole bunch of the established guys are all leaving and they're leaving in like clusters. Like, you know, they're not leaving like one here, one there. You know, we're getting like every year we've had somebody leave in like the last three, four years. And it's starting to get a lot of like people like yourself, traditional guys who've been following NASCAR since the, you know, mid nineties or whatever, when it really started to get majorly popular and had their favorite drivers for 20 years or 15 years or whatever. And now they're kind of lost because, you know, it's kind of like in wrestling. They haven't, the new guys haven't been able to get, break that barrier to win enough where you get to know who they are and kind of pick up on, Oh, you know what? I kind of like him. You know, right. he's not my favorite, but you know what I'm saying? I do like how he drives or whatever. So now NASCAR right. is trying to get that, those new guys introduced to everybody all at once. And it's, yeah. they're, they're trying to play a catch up a little bit. And I think it's the fan base is kind of in that same thing like you are, where they're like, you know, I don't like this new era. They haven't gotten to the point where, like, I had to do with wrestling, like, I like this, and if I'm going to enjoy it, even though it's not what I grew up with and what I prefer it to be, I need to find out what I like about the new style of it and just look for that and be, you know, entertained and enjoy that. Yeah, that's kind of how hockey was after that 0405 lockout, how they revamped the rules. Like, you had a lot of – it became more offensive 
focus, like more goals. Like for me, I like defense. I like shutouts. But when you have to change things up, it was something to adjust to. And, you know, but, and I guess that's also kind of ties in with the, with the playoffs as well. But that's still, most of that still doesn't make sense to me. I'm still sticking to my guns on that one. <laughs> um, that's a little harder to explain. It's kind of like a um, an elimination process. It's kind of like a tournament in, in per se, but it, you have three events per tournament, you know, per round basically in the tournament. So you get three races, and whoever's at the bottom, the bottom three at the end of those three races, they get chopped off. Then you get three more races, and you get three more guys. And then so at the end, what happens is you have four guys who can win the championship and yeah. they basically that, race the race to, to who yeah, comes in first amongst them four. Gotcha. Yeah. That part, I, that part I was aware of, uh, it was more of the, just the stages and things like that. Yeah. That was just the part of that, but it makes more sense now that part does. And what's been cool about the playoffs is the last few years, the actual winner of the race has actually been the champion. So it hasn't been like, you know, the guys were racing in the back and, you know, he won the championship because he finished 12th and the other guys behind him finished like, you know, 20th or 15th or whatever. Most of the time, the top four drivers are like the top four guys in the race and they're switching the lead back and forth. So it's been really exciting yeah. the past couple of years for NASCAR's last uh, race of the season. So like we said, um, you know, Bubba Wallace is definitely going to generate uh, more eyes, new eyes. And as long as he, you know, finishes these races and just gains more experience, you know, he's going to get better as the season goes on. Um, he's had a really good advantage this year because Chevy is de- debuting a new car. And so all the teams that drive Chevy are kind of in the same starting point. Nobody really knows what the car is going to do. So with him being new to the sport, he doesn't have a feel or new to the top series. He doesn't have a feel of what it should feel like. So, you know, he may be able to figure out something earlier and jump out and he may surprise people and actually get a win, you know, early on in this first part of the season. And then that would really be uh, a media bonanza that NASCAR definitely uh, would want to have on their hands. So we'll definitely keep you updated on the uh, Bubba Wallace process and their progress, uh, you know, here on Nova score. So at this point, Dwayne, is there anything you want to uh, talk about that we didn't talk about or give your shout outs and thank yous? I just want to say thank you as always. This is, this has been fun since I started doing this a few months ago. I also wanted to say that the the uh, my favorite time of year is coming, uh, March Madness. In spite of all the controversy with the FBI investigation, it's still going to be a fun thing to watch. Hopefully, we will see. Me personally, I'm going to the bar today to try to watch this Kansas-Texas Tech game um, until proven otherwise the streak is still intact and hopefully if Kansas wins they get a share of number 14 to break that record and and um, we'll just see how everything else pl- plays out when that game happens in Lubbock today so we're out chalk go Jayhawks
All right. Um, my uh, final thought will be first about Tiger Tiger Woods, y'all. Don't look now, but Tiger Woods is starting to show more flashes of the old Tiger than he's shown in the previous times he's tried to come back from this back injury. Um, he's plus one. He made the cut, so he's going to play through the weekend. I think he's like around 12th or 13th on the leaderboard. So, you know, within striking distance, they're playing down in Florida. They've got a lot of wind, and so that's keeping the scores kind of down. And, uh, you know, Tiger's starting to kind of have to, you know, use some of that old creativity. And uh, he's putting really good. His short game's keeping him in the tournament. And, you know, he seems confident. And he looks good. And he's smiling. And, you know, he seems to be kind of right where he wants to be, getting ready for the Masters. And and we all know that if he is healthy and he does feel good and he feels confident about his game, that, you know, that's his home. So if there is a course that he could kind of, you know, stir the echoes, it would be at Augusta. So, you know, kind of been foiled and fooled by Tiger in these comebacks, you know, only to have him walk off the, you know, the tee after nine holes and not finish tournaments and things, but it looks like this time that he's really, um, you know, in a good spot as far as his health goes, and it looks like he's actually going to be able to kind of show us some of that, some of his old game, and nobody can bring people to the TV like Tiger Woods can on a Sunday in a big tournament. I still think he has that type of drawing power if he can show and prove that he's healthy enough to do it. So, First sizzle. And my final, final thought will be uh, just thoughts and prayers with uh, Nabias Wilborn and his family, our co-host here at No Score. Um, he lost his grandmother uh, this week, and so it's going to be a hard uh, afternoon for him today. Um, so just let him know that he, we here at Know the School and TSPN um, have him in our thoughts and prayers, uh, his whole entire family, and, uh, you know, reach out to him and, you know, give him a shout and just let him know you're thinking about him. So, you know, shout out to the boys and uh, his whole family. And on that note, for the Libra Icon, I'm Don De La Rente, and now you know the school. Thank you.